0: In this current moment, it has become increasingly clear that U.S. society is deeply entangled in racist policies and logics of white supremacy. While this affects numerous communities, anti-Muslim racism has continued to grow over the years. In With Stones in Our Hands, Reflections on Racism, Muslims, and U.S. Empire, published with the University of Minnesota Press, Sohail Dolatzai and Junaid Rana turn their attention to the intersection of racecraft around Muslims and imperial projects of domination by gathering committed scholars and activists to reflect on how we've gotten here and how we can move forward. The collection of over 20 essays contends with political dissent and the promise of activism, migration and assimilation, suspicion and surveillance, and the intellectual and cultural archives that provide imaginative strategies for possible futures. In our conversation, we discuss the patterns of the Muslim left and the Muslim International, the racialization of Muslims, Palestine and American Muslim politics, Muslim belongings in the context of liberal multiculturalism and settler colonialism, countering extremism programs, the media reinforcement of stereotypes, and the resources Muslims can draw upon for solidarity politics. I'm one of your co-hosts, Christian Peterson, and thanks again for listening to New Books in Islamic Studies. A channel on the new books network and now my conversation with Sohail Duletzai and Junaid Rana about with stones in our hands welcome guys thanks for joining me on new books in Islamic studies how are you
1: good glad to be here
0: yeah so exciting to talk to you guys about this this really uh, wonderful collection of essays you guys have, have brought together I think a lot of people working both in kind of an American and North American context, but also in a global context are really going to benefit from, from much of this, both in uh, what a lot of these essays put forth, uh, but also in the way you guys can have constructed the volume and the voices you guys are highlighting. Uh, so I, I think it's a really unique contribution that I hope others will uh, kind of follow in your footsteps. But before we get to going through the book, uh, we always start with a little bit about what brought you guys uh to become the scholars that you are. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about mentors, moments, uh, things that uh, made you interested in the subjects that you are, taking the types of approaches you are. And then let us know like how you guys connected as collaborators, because you guys connect in a lot of ways, not just with this volume. So maybe, Junaid, you could start telling us a little bit about how you became uh, the scholar you are.
2: Sure. I can start off. Um, I think, you know, I can answer this question a lot of different ways, but you know, the thing that really hits me now, especially when it's very difficult to travel, you know, because of COVID-19, um, the scholar that I am is primarily because of travel, you know, um, my family coming from Pakistan, um, you know, growing up in the States, um, Having this kind of thirst to travel around. I mean, um, you know, right after undergrad, I spent a year in Cairo, and I think that year in Cairo um, was pretty formative for me in terms of um, you know thinking about the world, thinking about how the world is constructed. You know, those ways that Edward Said talks about in Orientalism. Um, But also, you know, um, I just I got that bug really early on. as much as I hate flying on airplanes, I love traveling the world. And um, that's really been sort of something that um, forms how I think about, you know, uh, how to, how how to approach things, but also the problems that I see out there. Um, They're not always, you know, sometimes they're constructed for you, but it's also important to understand what that, those issues are for yourself, um, so I think that's that's how I would answer that question. Um, the other part, I mean, I'm sure Sahel is going to say more about this, but it's it was you know we were introduced to each other pretty early on in our our careers, um, you know, as we were finishing graduate school, and it was kind of like a uh, you know we hit it off immediately, and really this book. This edited volume is kind of a uh, natural progression of our friendship. Our, you know, our seeing each other as as comrades and allies and uh, people who, you know, even in the academic world or even in the world of of thinking generally, um, it's not always easy to find people who you you see eye to eye with and. So, Hale and I were that immediately, um, and so I think this this book is 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 part of our friendship and our friendship with a bunch of,
1: of people in this book. In terms of how I came to, to be an academic, um, it was to be honest, it was kind of accidental. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, my parents moved, um, you know, from you know the AFPAC border region. Uh, I was born in Peshawar. Um and you know, my parents of course, born there when it was India, uh, but me Pakistan so uh we moved to l a and uh growing up in and around l a um you know, just being shaped by kind of the the political moment, I remember the Iran hostage crisis as a very kind of formative and pivotal time for for me and our family in terms of kind of coming to a really stark and you know uh visceral kind of understanding of like how we were being viewed in our place, and you know I was nine year old kid you know at the time um eight nine like nine ten year old kid when when all this was going down, and so that was like you know on top of just coming from a household that was really politically active and you know my father was engaged in hunger strikes against u s support for the Pakistani government in his mid seventies um and and so just kind of having that constantly in the house and and then growing up as a kid, I think, you know, fortunately I could say in the eighties, where for me, you know, this has kind of led me to 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 do the work, some of the work that I do was like the my encounter with like culture, like particularly like punk and like hip hop, like and and the way that really shaped my worldview. And so I and then, you know, Another moment was you know seeing the Battle of Algiers for the first time as a kid in a in a, in a library um, and and being blown away by the power that you know film or in other cases music could have in terms of like one teaching you about something but you know shaping a worldview too. so that kind of just led me into when I went to school and then work I did afterward, I was kind of always working in this nexus of for lack of a better word, like culture and politics, you know, Um, whether it was organizing activist work or working on, you know, film video stuff, you know, and then grad school, I went to the film school at USC, which was a kind of interdisciplinary program and um, pretty lefty, but, you know, they didn't really contend with questions of difference when it came to race in particular. So, um, you know, For me, you know, seminal, I mean, I I read Malcolm's autobiography as a teenager, but then Fanon and Edward Said became, you know, kind of influential in terms of that. So I went to grad school, to be honest, like really just to get some ideas under my belt, you know, get some film and media and experimental film stuff under my belt and was just thinking that, like, I was going to enter the world with that and then I'll see what came of it. and you know, through the, you know, the powers that be or whatever it might be, uh, landed with a postdoc at UCLA. And that led to me being hired at UC Irvine. And, and so I kind of embarked on this trajectory of the tenure track and academia, but always kind of a little unsettled with the process, you know, um, but also trying to figure out how best to navigate it. Because as I moved through it, I started to see the kind of value it had for me in terms of what i could make it or shape it to be um and so i've tried to you know kind of navigate that line and and so you know luckily as junaid was referring to like early on in my my career i think it was like maybe my first year on the tenure track i met junaid right um and and uh you know, we just hit it off, like Junaid said. You know, it was just like, oh wow. You know, um, and again, like meeting meeting someone like meeting Junaid and 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 others like him was refreshing because it was like, oh, you can you can do this with this worldview um, and be on the tenure track. Because to, to be honest with you, my graduate school experience was not that. You know, I was pretty much on my own. You know, um, and so finding that kind of uh, like community if you want to call it that like amongst um other junior scholars who were in the academia in academia on the tenure track but in particular like junaid you know come from a similar background you know but had also very similar worldviews, was was also really kind of like wind in my sails and so it kind of just led us to start you know talking thinking collaborating and yeah and it, it you know most recently, culminating in this book project, you know.
0: Yeah, this is uh, it's interesting too, and the, you know, hearing a little bit more about each of your backgrounds and and knowing both of your work, you know, you both have these these great books that do Islamic studies. I think, in a way that I, I would imagine, neither of you would probably say I'm in Islamic studies, um, but I think your type of work and what you're doing in this this book with stones in our hands carves out, you know, you're, you're making the path by walking of a, of a kind of different trajectory uh, to think about Muslim societies, think about Islam as a, a kind of category of analysis. Um, so I really appreciate the work that both of you guys are doing um, and the work that you guys are are fostering in a collection like this. But you, you also have this series with University of Minnesota Press, which uses this, this framing, which is central to, to this book as well. Um, this idea of the Muslim international um, and in this book you also talk about uh, the Muslim left these are kind of two central concepts for the project so I thought this would be a useful place to start about uh, so so what do you mean by these these terms how do you how are you using them uh, what is their kind of relationship with each other and then how how does this kind of viewpoint or this kind of starting point you know how do you see it operating in the type of scholarship that you guys want to uh, bring to this this series that you have what what is the kind of unifying principles in in that type of work
1: well i mean i think you know i i think for for me well for us you know but i can you know i can speak about my perspective on it you know i think um p- part of what led us to to start thinking about the book was um you know actually you know is, is there a way I mean, we understand that the academy is um, is disciplinarily bound, right? Um, um, but I mean that in all senses of the word. In terms of the ways, it also kind of seeks to kind of police forms of thinking and ways of knowing. And and for me personally, that just ran completely antithetical to how I understood the world. Like for me, my my way of thinking about the world, as I mentioned in terms of my experiences growing up, was just. From anything and everything, right? It, it was all fair game. Um, and so for me, you know, coming into a place like the academy that was disciplinary bound, for me, I was approaching it from a very undisciplined perspective. And so I say all that to say, because for for us, right, you know, uh, the, the, the question of what was happening, uh, especially post 9-11, um, um, to Muslims, um, both in the United States and globally, and, and the way in which you know, the figure of the Muslim kind of was getting deployed, um, was not something that was really being understood in relationship to, um, other histories of, uh, settler colonial histories and theories of, uh, and legacies and afterlives of slavery. Um, what I mean by that, it it wasn't being looked at in, in, in direct ways around the question of what we might call in the academy, critical race or ethnic studies frameworks, right? And so for, for, for us, I think it was important to kind of situate what was happening to Muslims and what, we, what was called a war on terror within a, within a longer history of empire. And, and so for us, it was then like, trying, like you know, so, so in that sense, and we can talk about this maybe, Christian, is like, in what ways is the work that we're doing, you know, overlapping with sometimes, but maybe distinct from Islamic studies, right? Is it something called Muslim studies, right? Um, and, 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 and what did that mean then for the kinds of work that could be done? How did that reorient us in terms of like looking at, you know, the, 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 the set of violent concerns that we were kind of facing. So as a result of, you know, that, um, for, for, for us, this idea of like, you know, this, this, this question of the Muslim international, you know, was something that I talked about in, in Black Star Crescent Moon, um. And, and it was something that we picked up on and brought to bear on in this project because I just felt like it was, you know, we, we felt that it was like an operative frame for thinking about this, this conjuncture, right? Like this kind of space for thinking about the trafficking and flows of ideas and people and art and resistance, like throughout the world, right? Um, that, that connected struggles and ideas and histories. And it wasn't that we were naming something that, you know, you know, hadn't existed. In fact, we were maybe giving a name to something that has always existed in some ways, right? In many ways. Um, but just trying to get folks to think about what that, that global flow and circulation of ideas, people, resistances uh, could offer us in terms of thinking about, you know, how to understand Systems of violence and and domination like empire and war etc. So um, that was how kind of for me the Muslim International kind of you know took root. And there are many ways to think about it. I mean, I don't I don't see it as a monolithic space. I see it as a very kind of heterogeneous uh, and even contested space within it. Right to think about you know how questions of settler colonialism and and blackness and and war and refugee and, and these kind of questions operate. So it's not necessarily this triumphalist kind of, you know, uh, you know, universalizing space. I do see it as a kind of contested space, but a space where we can hash out and think through certain ideas. Um, and so without talking too much longer, I think then the, the idea of the Muslim left, uh, for, for us emerges out of and through right that conceptual frame, but also that contestation that I was talking about. Um, And to think about forms of political agency um, that I think, what we felt had been rendered illegible by traditional conceptions of leftist politics, right? So it wasn't that we were asking for or demanding, you know, that the left broaden its tent and now include Muslims in it, right? Um, in fact, we were actually vehemently against that idea. We weren't asking for the left to now include us. We were saying, no, there's a different kind of politics happening that is also anti-imperial, that is also anti-capitalist, that's also looking at changing and challenging patriarchal notions and in, in structures in societies, right? And that, but it doesn't go by the name left, right? In terms of how it's classically defined, but still has a certain kind of, you know, it, it, there's a robustness to it, right? And so we wanted to kind of start to think about a way to organize around those kind, that kind of political agency, right? And and so because I think again, and we can maybe have this conversation for the for the conventional left, you know, there's a and as we talked about in the introduction, even um, and and some pieces throughout the book did there's a there's a deep antipathy, if not antagonism, within the left toward Muslims, right, or Islam, and so. Uh, we wanted to kind of, you know, stake a particular claim to uh, a kind of set of practices that, you know, had had were either being willfully ignored or just not rendered legible, right? And so I think that was that, That's the way I'd answer that question. So really quick, Christian, um, you know, one of the things that
2: I would I would add to Sahel's description is just to go back to my opening around our friendship. And, you know, one of the the things that just connected us was just the ability to talk through ideas. And um, a lot of the stuff that we had been talking about was about, you know, the misrepresentations of Muslims and Islam, both historically, uh, culturally, politically, etc., And, you know, this is a very, that's a very common conversation that you can have with a lot of people, right? You know, once you know something about um, these worlds, you immediately see it. And we both were engaging in this conversation constantly. And then, you know, part of our, you know, academic careers was about unveiling this, so to speak, you know, um and one of the things that we kept coming across not only in terms of our academic work but as we presented this material we talked about it with you know we we wrote things and um those those pieces came out and those journal pieces came out um those essays came out was a kind of um, pushback and the pushback was very odd. It wasn't about the ideas we were presenting. It was as if there was another conversation going on that we weren't participating in. And we we both knew what that conversation was, and it's precisely that kind of antipathy that Sahel's pointing out, right? That there are certain foils out there that Islam and Muslims stand in for, uh, both in you know, the modern episteme, but also in the ways that people are, are constantly imagining their place in the world, right? So, you know, part of what we were trying to figure out was, how is it that this colossal edifice has been constructed such that you can't even see the politics of Muslims and the Islamic world writ large, much less the world that's also seen through this lens, right? Because it's not just Muslims per se, the actually existing Muslim. It's other people who are then folded into this narrative, right? And part of us understanding that was to say, on the one, that there is this thing called the Muslim International. And I think you know Sahel's book so brilliantly, you know, outlines, A slice of what that is, right? That is to say that there were both Muslims engaging in radical sets of politics that were oriented around justice issues, and there were other people, right? Non-Muslims who were engaging with Muslims or Islam, you know, in a way that was um, internationalist in scope. It, It presented a kind of uh, radical politics that isn't the way that radicalism has been associated with Islam, right? Radicalism now it has a very conservative um uh, and you know uh, a, a trajectory to it, so that politics is a foregone conclusion for Islam and Muslims, right? It must be something that is antithetical to the you know to modernity or it's antithetical to you know, the so-called American way of life. Um, but, you know, unpacking those kinds of terms means that you have to understand, one, the way that Muslims and Islams have been constructed from, you know, these these huge categories we we formerly called the West or whatever. Um, but, but that there are these ways of seeing these other parts of the world that have nothing to do with those parts of the world. But also, you know, this... This prefiguring of politics means that it evap- eviscerates any notion that um, there's a complicated set of political issues going on, that there are debates, that there are, you know, there's even a category of, you know, Muslims who are communists, right? The whole idea of a Muslim being a communist seems like an oxymoron and contradictory. Um, and so so that that's a central part of of what we're dealing with, but it's also you know we're not just saying this as a kind of diagnostic, right to say like historically there are all these you know figures we can look at the or the all these movements we can look at, but that that this thing that we're calling the Muslim left is also forward moving it's a way of thinking about you know um in the book we talk about like we have four interviews with um you know thinkers and and activists and organizers who are involved in organizing a different kind of politics right and that different kind of politics means that you know not only understanding what the problem is also leads us to thinking about well the other side of this in terms of what is to be done, right? And what is to be done isn't necessarily a prescriptive thing. It's, it's, it's a debate, right? Um, it's a debate in terms of saying, okay, well, what are the forms of action? What are the, how does action actually, what does action actually do, right? Um, so I think that those are the kind of tensions we're building on between the Muslim international and the Muslim left
0: another kind of through line that you 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 guys have both kind of alluded to but um I want to spell it out for for listeners uh, is the kind of racialization of muslims and kind of thinking about muslims in this this kind of intersection of of racism and white supremacy so can can you kind of help us think about the logic of racecraft around muslims and then uh, more specifically perhaps Kind of the the operative differences between thinking about anti-Muslim racism versus the categorization of Islamophobia. How how do those two kind of uh, what's the tension there?
2: So maybe I'll start on this one, and and you know one of the things that we um you know are are responding to here in terms of thinking about this is that you know how do we understand racism and white supremacy in relationship to the way that it, the Muslims are articulated in this, right? Um, so, in the introduction, we lay out some of our thinking, and, and you know, both of us have written in other places about it. Our books also um, sort of build on some of the ideas around anti-Muslim racism, and you know, we've also both of us also worked uh, collectively with a bunch of other uh, academics on a syllabus um, called Islamophobia is racism. Um and that's a, an online syllabus which is you know very useful in terms of sets up a, a a set of readings and and how to think about this um in terms of the 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 realm of the problem um and one of the reasons to for us to turn to racism as opposed to something like islamophobia i mean one islamophobia has you know there's all these kinds of uh uh built-in logics within the notion or the word or the concept or the definition of what Islamophobia is itself, right? One that that it is it is some kind somehow psychologized, right? That that as a phobia, there's just a fear of Islam and Muslims. And if we just got to know Islam and Muslims, you know, the world would would be okay with it. And what we're saying is that no, that's not exactly what's happening here. What's happening here is connected to a longer history of racism and white supremacy that isn't just about knowledge. Knowledge is being wielded in particular ways and that this is not a, a problem of ignorance, right, which is also another way that people often talk about racism. That it's just people things that people don't know about, right? But what we're saying here is that not only... Is, the, is racism also used by very intelligent people It's very educated people very literate people it's also something that is is constantly changing in itself so so you know one of the lines that we have in in the in the introduction I'll just read it really quick um, in our thinking, anti-Muslim racism does not only draw from anti-Black or settler colonial logics. Instead, the racialized Muslim is a planetary figure that is neither universalized nor uniform, as we have been describing. It is a horizon, a possibility, a potential that is placed within temporal and spatial contexts as described in the numerous approaches within this volume. So there's a lot being said here, right? Um, so what we mean by this is that we don't think there is one anti-Muslim racism right? There's multiple forms of anti-Muslim racism. And we would even argue that racism in itself is a kind of pluralization of forms of domination and oppression, right? Um, And part of the problem often is that people want to understand racism as one thing, but it has multiple tentacles. It has you know, it, it works in different ways in different settings. So part of the the job that we have to do is to understand how complicated that thing is, right? Um, but we're also saying that, you know, anti-Muslim racism has a trajectory that's global, right? It's not just found, even though we, you know, for the most part in the book we're focusing on North America and and somewhat on Europe. But it's it's a global planetary thing. Like you can find it all over the world. You can find it being practiced against the Uyghurs in China. It can be you can see it in um, refugee the refugee crisis around the world, the way that refugees are dealt with. So you know all these examples are not the same, right? They share some kind of parallels conceptually, but they have to be sort of understood on the ground uh, in terms of like the ideological and conceptual work that's being applied to those groups and peoples, right? Um, And so, you know, one of the things that we also are doing in terms of naming this as racism is to think in terms of the politics of that, right, which is the legacies of how we turn to for so for example the black radical tradition which gives us a lot of anti-racist thinking but also helps us to think through you know um forms of solidarity how political solidarity in terms of acting against racism means not only acting against the racism that you you face right individually but or even collectively but that other groups of people face right that to understand, you know, anti-Muslim racism is to also put it in, you know, um, in connection to anti-black racism, to you know, um, native genocide and um, um, anti-immigrant discourses, etc. Um, and that, that that by doing that kind of work, um, you know, those ways of thinking—that's for us um, a kind of social movement thinking that, that we're trying to bring analysis into not only the academy, but also how we, again, you know, think about that
1: same question that I talked about previously, what is to be done? That's, I mean, that's a great answer. I have very little to add to that. You know, I think this is a fundamental question, Christian, because, you know, one of the, one of the, you know, classic kind of you know, knee-jerk responses to this idea that Muslims face racism is well, Muslims are not a race, right? Uh, or that it's not really racism; it's religious persecution, right? Um, and 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 in fact, when you look at kind of the the body of work uh, called critical race theory within you know legal studies, um, there are those who kind of approach you know kind of redress uh, uh, that. You know, in terms of like legal redress or remedy for uh, violence enacted upon Muslims in the United States, like they're not able to pray at work or they're not able to, you know, do certain kinds of things or seen as suspicious, is through kind of ideas of religious persecution and constitutional protections of those freedoms, right? And so, even within, in terms of like how legal remedies are getting meted out, and I think that is just, and I'm not saying that's everybody, but I think that that tends to be kind of like one of the mainstream kind of currents um in terms of like thinking about not just within the law but how to understand what it is that muslims are facing right um and and for us it was really important to kind of try to um not necessarily just unpack that because uh we had to we were trying to figure think about and think through like historically what is this nexus of religion and race right like the idea that you know and again as some scholars have written about that that race is essentially the secularization of religion, right? Like there's a way of thinking about kind of political theology and thinking about these ideas uh, where race becomes a way of secularizing religion, that that at at the core of the idea of race is a certain kind of conception, a theological conception about the human and who's considered saved and not saved or human and not human. Right. Um, And, and so what we were also trying to do was kind of tap into that kind of uh, history and to kind of suggest or show that like, you know, even though it's happening to people called Muslims who, you know, practice a religion called Islam, right. That as Junaid, like, you know, brilliantly pointed out, like the way in which it's practiced upon Muslims, right. Is uh, rooted in deeper histories of white supremacist violence. Right. And then when we think about empire, not just U.S. empire, kind of, if we want to look at post-World War II period, but even kind of, you know, we can go back to, I mean, we could go back to the the 1619 project or whatever you want to say, but we can talk about like European expansion and colonization of the world and kind of like what that emerges out of and the way in which the figure of the Muslim comes to kind of haunt kind of the spaces of what Europe considers civilization, right? Um, So this idea of the figure of the Muslim, um, which is in some ways overlaps with Muslims themselves, but as Junaid referenced earlier, sometimes doesn't, right? The figure of the Muslim gets deployed as a kind of haunting figure, a racialized figure that kind of can construct what is and is not white, who is and who is not human, et cetera. And so I think for us, that was really important to kind of also you know, try to kind of connect some of those dots.
0: Now, in this book, you guys... Uh, I mean, your your bench is stacked here. You really have brought together uh, a number of really uh, wonderful folks. So, uh, c- can you tell us a little bit about, like, how did this thing come together? You know, you you kind of pointed to kind of building this uh, kind of collective of friends and colleagues uh, over time that had the same kind of uh, resonance in terms of, uh, you know, political thought and these kind of things. So, but what, what, where did this project come from? What, what, how did you, you know, gather these people? How did you get them focused to think about the same thing? Um, You also mentioned this, this uh, part of the book, which I think is really unique where you uh, interview organizers and activists. Um, So what, what led to including those voices as well? Um, Maybe you could kind of just give us a little uh, history of the, the, the project.
1: Yeah, I could I could start with that. I mean, you know, as we were talking about it, mean, me and Junaid had, you know, when we first met, just kind of thinking about, you know, to go back to Junaid's question, quoting, referencing Shariati, referencing Mark, like what is to be what what can we do here? Right. Like what where, Where's the intervention and trying to think about things that kind of influenced us. Um, and and for us, in some ways, we wanted this to be a kind of handbook, Um, um might be a little thick to kind of put in your back pocket as it were, but like for us, we wanted it to kind of be in that tradition of kind of like a handbook, like a kind of, you know, not, you know, maybe not necessarily manual might sound too programmatic, but we were thinking about, you know, like the insight women of color against violence kind of anthology that, it, that, 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 that collective had put out, you know, uh, several years ago as a kind of model. Right. Um, and, and trying to, you know, as we were saying, think through some of these ideas. And also at the same time, I mean, this was an idea that, I mean, we started talking about this book, you know, it's, it's been a while, Christian. I mean, it's probably been like, you know, last, maybe eight, 10 years ago, right. Where we really started to think about like, what if we put together a collection and um, part of that, part of that process was, um, you know, the, the, the social life of the war on terror, like what it was doing to, you know, you know, institutions on the one hand, but just, you know, how it was impacting Muslims and the everyday, um, was something that was almost, it was disorienting because it was happening so rapidly and so quickly every other day there was every day there was something else. And so it was almost like we were chasing a moving target in a way in terms of trying to, you know, uh, harness or get a sense of what was going on. And so at the same time, I think, um, there was also a generation of, 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 of scholars who, who were coming through the pipeline, as it were, who, you know, again, in terms of thinking about that community, who were who were likewise shaped by kind of critical race, black studies, ethnic studies, gender studies, frameworks who were coming through and also trying to make sense of this thing called the war on terror. And so uh, as a result, like the, the, the book took, it took some time to kind of get like the pieces together to fit, right. In terms of like, okay, what are the broad ideas? What could specific chapters be about, you know, who are the people out here who are doing this work? Because essentially what we wanted to do to kind of in in the book, like I said, was one, provide this, you know, handbook as it were, um, and include critical voices, right. We, we wanted, we wanted critical voices because that was something that we felt was, um, just not happening in, 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 a, in a moment of intense violence um, and subjection for Muslims. So, we wanted critical kind of voices to come together, but also to kind of couple that with like folks who weren't in the academy. And, and not that the academy is just kind of insular space, it can, it can be, unfortunately. But we wanted not only to bring those folks in the academy who were, you know, trained scholars, but who were also doing, you know, activist work right? And organizing work. But then we also wanted to, to to tap into our networks of organizers and activists who were, you know, also well-versed in thinking through kind of larger, bigger scholarly ideas and bringing that to bear on their organizing work. And so for us, you know, it was, you know, Lara Kiswani at AROC up in the Bay Area. Um, they do amazing work up there. And so bringing Laura's voice in Um, Hami Khan here in LA where I've done work with um, and stop LAPD spying. And and he's kind of like a fixture here and kind of like LA kind of like radical politics in terms of like, you know, uh, uh, you know, addressing kind of um, LAPD's historic, but especially in the war on terror, kind of the way in which LA became and has become kind of the epicenter of the interface between local policing and Homeland security with, William Bratton as the police chief, and then Michael Downing, and, and the funding that comes through LA as a result. So Hamid has been intrinsically and in, in like just involved in the way in which, and this is what's important to a point that Junaid made, how the war on terror uses the figure of the Muslim and got buy-in from mainstream Muslim communities here in Los Angeles, right, as a way of kind of protecting communities. But the overwhelming bulk of the force of what LAPD was doing with its surveillance architecture was targeting non-Muslim Black and brown communities, right? Over 90% of their stops and SARS, suspicious activity reports they did essentially, were targeting non-Muslims. So again, how does the figure of the Muslim get deployed, right? So terror is being expanded, the idea of what a terrorist is. Um, so, So Hamid, we wanted to bring Hamid in and then there was, you know, um, uh, Fahad Ahmed from Drum, like a longtime organizer in, in New York around kind of undocumented migrant kind of Muslim Desi, Desi communities there, uh, many of whom were Muslims. And then Ubedala Evans, kind of uh, uh, a thinker, activist organizer in Chicago who. You know, was thinking through questions around like liberation theology and Black liberation theology in, spe- in specific. So, so we wanted to kind of bring these multiple voices and to create kind of a, you know, if 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 it wasn't necessarily a monolithic, it wasn't it wasn't like a chorus, you know, like everyone's singing in unison. For me, maybe if I could use that metaphor, it was more like a cacophony. It was just like we wanted dissonant voices and tones and you know, shrieks and yells from you know, for the book to kind of have this collection of these critical kind of voices that were unsettling kind of established ways of thinking about, you know, who Muslims are and what's happening to us, you know? So,
2: you know, certainly it is an all-star squad. um, And, you know, that was a little bit of the idea to bring folks who are doing this work and um, you know, we gave them the direction, basically take on something that, you haven't been able to deal with in your academic work and you want to work out and you want to share with others. And, um, you know, I think, um, there's no, like, there's no like blueprint for any of these pieces. They all came out like, and they're addressing different stuff and, um, you know, they're, they're using different voices, different strategy, writing strategies, et cetera um also the interviews came out like they're all very different all four of them um and i think you know one of the things that we wanted is just again like to show all of the kind of debate and different directions um believe it or not we actually wanted more pieces in here and, and because of people's schedules and you know the timing of everything not everybody could be along with it but you know, we could easily see us doing another one of these, and and um, you know, we it was a lot of work. Um, but I think it it the way it came out, and you know, one of the the kind of weird tragedies of it, if if there is one, if something like that, is that this is not something. Even though this book came out two years ago, we can still talk about this stuff now like it's fresh, you know. And I do think that that's. One of the kind of legacies around um, the, this massive thing called the war on terror, where not only is it just confined to moments of time, it's 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 so massive that we just can't, we're just starting to scratch the surface. And um, I think there's a lot of work coming out now that also kind of continues on with this. Uh, many of the authors in, in this volume have, have books come out or have had books come out that are kind of in tandem with the pieces that they wrote. Um so that's I think it was also a, a source book in that sense for folks to like come to this book and then build off of it. Um and you know, one of the things you mentioned before, like it 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 also kicked off um our series at the University of Minnesota um press. And we kind of see that space as a place to continue to have this conversation. You know, it's not the only place, but it's one of the places. So, um, <laughs> it's the best place. you know, <laughs> it's an all-star game, right? So, like, you know, um, we want to we we basically have this conversation growing and, you know, it's, it's again about creating the debate itself, right? Um, and, and moving the debate. Um, I mean, the other thing that I wanted to say too about this, in terms of the the all the pieces in it, and and I'm so glad, and we were so fortunate to get the people that who who, who contributed, is that each of the sections also, you know, part of the idea of it sort of ending with um, the interviews was to sort of frame it in. You know, there there are these concepts that we're working with in the all of these sections, right? So, you know, it's, um, you know, the first section is on imperial racism. What's imperialism? What's racism? Um, the Palestine question. Um, two, de- decolonizing geographies. How do we unpack all these different ways of thinking about place and all of that kind of stuff? Um, the third section is technologies of surveillance and control. Um, and the final section, possible future dissent and the protest tradition, is that you know, particularly in that that last section, what is this this thing called a protest tradition? And I think that's what each of the sections really builds on. You know, what's the problem? How do we diagnose it? What are the concepts that we need to think about? And then what are what are what are our strategies? What are our practices? What's our tradition around this? Um, so that's the way we were really thinking about how we organize the book.
0: There's over 20 chapters, so it'd be impossible to to get into the uh, the weeds of all these particular uh, essays. Um, but perhaps we can kind of uh, spend a couple minutes just kind of teasing out some of these these themes of these sections. Um, the first one seems to be around issues of things like political dissent or freedom to critique. Um, And perhaps the promise of activism. Um, So maybe how do how do some of these essays address issues like Palestine or the effects of anti-Muslim racism uh, in this context of kind of this this imperial uh, imperial uh, form of racism?
1: I mean, I think, and again, it was it, these were these were not easy decisions to make in terms of thinking about how to to give shape to these these sections. But I, I do think they cohere uh, relatively well. I mean, obviously, in the imperial racism uh, question, was was thinking about again, in some ways, you know, the centrality of race to the question of imperialism, right? Uh, which taps into a larger history of what what Cedric Robinson has called racial capitalism. But but thinking about the way in which that manifests in relationship to um, particularly either Muslim communities per se or how Muslim communities are constructed, or again how the figure of the Muslim gets you know uh, you know weaponized as it were, um, and so and, and we see that most clearly obviously in, in in the Palestine question, right? And so you know Stephen Salidas piece on and, and you know you know I mean I, I, hopefully everyone knows about the kind of persecution that that, that Stephen has faced, but but. Um, Stephen's piece, um, as well as, you know, uh, Rabab Abdel Hadi's pieces in that section, and, and they both talk about kind of the, the way in which Palestine is kind of made exceptional in a particular way to thinking about, quote unquote, progressive or left politics, or even kind of ideas of freedom of speech, right? And, 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 and the way in which kind of, you know, the figure of the Muslim, you know, hovers around that exceptionality, Right. Um, And so thinking about that question in terms of like, how do these kind of very like celebrated ideas of political dissent and freedom of speech and the left kind of start to kind of crumble when we start to think about how the figure of the Muslim, you know, starts to circulate, right? These ideas all of a sudden fall apart or exceptions start to get made. Um, And then, you know, I think Stephen Sheehy's piece is a great piece on terms of thinking about, again, how the liberal wing of, you know, the U.S. war party, called the Democrats, kind of, you know, shape a particular narrative um, against, within and against, like Islam and Muslims, right? Like how, again, even within kind of the liberal corridors of power, anti-Muslim racism kind of structures, you know, th- their own politics, and, and I think that picks up on what Abdullah and Hassa did with, with kind of the limits of kind of domesticating our politics in terms of thinking about you know, how the nation state and ideas of Americanness kind of, you know, foreclose or silence kind of critiques of US empire and, and 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 the way in which we should think about, you know, this question of war, right? We think of war as only happening somewhere else. But I think part of what we were trying to do was destabilize some of these kind of Boundaries in this thinking, and to think about, like um, you know, in particular, I mean, we can think about, you know, how even even the U.S. itself. I mean, this is not this is we're not making this up. I mean, the National Defense Authorization Act we mentioned this in introduction in 2012 says that the world is a battlefield, right? And the 2004 9/11 Commission Report refers uh, to the American homeland as the planet, right? So, if American homeland is the planet, and the world is a battlefield then this question of where war is happening and what is war has to be reconceptualized, right? Um, instead, of, instead of only thinking about it as something happening outside, right? And that has profound impact on how we think about then policing, surveillance here in the country, in the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's what we were trying to get at in, in, in that section, you know?
0: Yeah, and all these these really connect because uh, the the decolonizing geography section, which has uh, again several excellent essays, uh, talks about issues of migration and assimilation in this kind of global politics, uh, where we're thinking about the Muslim subject both in the North American context, but here also in Europe. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what these authors were thinking about in terms of uh, Muslim belonging um, in perhaps these transnational context how, how does it perhaps uh create some tension with liberal ideas of multiculturalism um
1: uh, yeah hey do you want to go over that one no you could do it <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, all right i'll do it <laughs> i mean I, I i'd love to talk about this stuff so no i mean there, this was you know that we we bring in a couple of pieces from europe you know fatima al is talking about kind of um, the, the language of multiculturalism in Europe and where Muslims fit in that. And then Salim Nadi, who's part of kind of uh, the kind of decolonial party there in France, in terms of thinking about, again, how these ideas are being played out in the context of Europe, where the Muslim kind of, bec- you know, the refugee figure is, is, is a prominent figure, but also the history of colonialism. You know, I mean, America has this narrative, the United States has this narrative of itself as not an empire. And, 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 and not, you know, uh, having, you know, colonies, as it were. Um, and of course, we know that to be a fiction, but, you know, Europe in some ways fully admits to that. Right. Um, and, and, and so as a result, there's this whole history of colonial subjectivity that that both those pieces are kind of speaking to in terms of then how the language around multiculturalism gets deployed, but it's still constructed within and against the Muslims. The Muslims are somehow the exception to the multiculturalist project. And not just the exception, they're a threat to the multicultural project, right? The way they act, the way they dress, what they believe, or what they think politics are, right? The, the Muslim in many ways, not just in Europe, but here is, and you know, I think this is part of what we also gesture toward is, is, is the limit of the political, right? Like the, the Muslim exceeds the political. And so Therefore, then, if it's a threat to the political, um, then it must be, you must, in order to protect, you know, the human or the human community, you must then extinguish or kill the Muslim, right? To to put it in kind of crude terms. Um, And so I think those pieces kind of start to get at that, as do others in the book. But Abbas's piece on Atlanta and the way in which the civil rights kind of uh, history kind of, you know, like permeates the cityscape in terms of thinking about his work and the legacies of Black Islam in the city of Atlanta, I think is really interesting as a kind of counterpoint um, and thinking about Imam Jamil and kind of other figures um, in Atlanta who kind of, you know, were 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 working within or underneath that kind of specter of civil rights. Um, uh, Arash Davadi's piece is a really, like I think an amazing cogent piece about kind of Iranian diaspora, particularly here in LA where he grew up And thinking about their kind of complicities um, with kind of U.S. empire and, you know, kind of imperial like postures toward Iran in terms of the way in which they mobilize the Iranian diaspora, not in total, but the the dominant thread is this kind of anti-Muslim kind of, you know, take on this, you know, what happened to our country. Look at the revolution of 79. And even so-called leftists from Iran in terms of the way in which they mobilize those kind of anti-Muslim rhetorics. So, um, and then of course, the, the, we talked about the interview already that, uh, that Junaid does with with Fahad and um, Drum. So, so I think, you know, for us, like we were trying to kind of, like you said, cohere around certain questions about how space and liberal ideas kind of converge and, and, and how, you know, anti-Muslim racism is operative in all those.
2: I mean, the other thing I'd say about these pieces in particular is that the this section, you know the a lot of the essays were thinking about one formal politics, right? how do what is the shape of formal politics and how do uh, Muslims fit in within that? But then also how migration fits into that, right? So migration, um whether it be through legal frameworks or through political frameworks um what is it that's constructed as the figure of the muslim um you know and and part of having the you know the work of drum highlighted at the end of this is to think about you know something where you've got a a a worker based collective where their organizing model is precisely a Working against the notion of formal politics necessarily, right? That you know, for example, electoral politics is the only way to do politics. Um, you know, drum does things in a different way because they're trying to imagine politi- politics in a different way, and I think that that I think provides a kind of resource um, for folks who are looking. Um, who are, you know, ha- who are who are thinking that, you know, in the same ways that a lot of people do that that formal politics is kind of a, a dead end in a way. And so what are our options? And there's a lot of options. And historically, there have been a lot of options. Um, and so the work that Fahad's doing with DRAM is is one of the resources that we have.
0: Now uh the the technologies of surveillance and control revolves a lot around around ideas about suspicion of Muslims um but then specifically tied to different types of, of power so things like uh pu- public assumptions uh that are rooted in these kind of countering violent extremism projects uh the the media reinforcement of of stereotypes orientalist discourses on human rights um I mean, th- th- This section seemed to cover a lot of ground, so perhaps it will, you know, you don't have to <laughs> feel overly uh, uh, required to uh, try to summarize everything. Um, but but what are the type of uh, the, the possibilities of activism in such a context where uh, there's these kind of multi pronged uh, oppressions or or, or, or obstacles uh, being put forth in this kind of social life of Muslims? It's interesting.
1: I mean, you know. Um I, I think the current conjuncture with um you know the the police killing of George Floyd and 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 what has emerged out of that in terms of uh defunding and even abolishing kind of the police and the carceral state, I think really bring into kind of bold relief, you know, many of the issues that we were kind of touching upon in the book, right? Um uh, because I think it, it raises, like I mentioned earlier, fundamental questions about how we conceptualize warfare, right? And, and, and obviously there's a deep history um, and I think a righteous history that pinpointed and hit the nail on the head about what the role of the policing function in the United States has historically been about kind of counterinsurgency, right? In terms of thinking about Black political mobilization and that possibility, right? Um, and so meaning it's it was a kind of warfare right and so what i think you know the, the pieces in this section but in other parts of the book as well get at is how do we try to draw these connections to in particular technologies of control forms of surveillance that um as many people are arguing now um have kind of boomeranged back right the war on terror has come home right you hear this narrative of the militarization of the police and while, while I can agree with the impulse to name it that, like my argument would be that the police have always been militarized in this, in this country. Right. Um, but I understand what they're saying because, you know, they're essentially arguing that there's, you know, separate pots of money and, you know, there's, the the kind of, um, infamous kind of Pentagon 1033 program that was enacted in 1997 that allowed military weapons from one pot to then go to policing. And so I get what they're trying to argue, but, I think the, the, what, what's happening in a new conjuncture is we're seeing kind of in, in more, you know, obvious ways, the use of military drone surveillance technologies that have been deployed in other theaters of war, Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, you know, Sudan. And now they're kind of being brought to bear, whether it be through threat of, you know, the military taking the streets here in the United States over the protests that Trump kind of put forth. Um, but if it's not literally the military taking the streets, it's still the tactics and strategies, because, you know, as we know, there's been a lot of training of the police here with the military abroad and with the state of Israel and and vice versa. The military here comes and trains with local police on how to do kind of uh, their work. So so I think this section was kind of trying to get at some of those questions with with, with Ronik's piece on drone technology um and 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 the way in which that operated. And then, you know, the, the legal frameworks that come into play. And that's what Shireen was getting at with, with her piece on 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 how the law is being weaponized in a particular way to think about a kind of genetic disposition of violence that Muslims might have. So so that would be some of the ways that I would kind of try and address that in terms of, you know, thinking about it. I think it's very relevant for what's happening right now.
2: I mean the other thing that, that I think brings these pieces together, even though this is happening throughout the book, it's it's how did some of these um ideas around anti-Muslim racism travel, right? So like whether it's through technology, whether it's through, you know, the discipline of psychology, how psychologists are using this, how it's how it's mobilized in human rights discourse. Um, the way it's being used in, in, in ed- education and pedagogy, or, or even in film, right? I mean, all of these things are things, they're discourses, but they're also practices that travel themselves, right? Um, and so that's one of the ways we can think about how the global is enacted upon, right? Um, the classic one is the way that Rona talks about it in terms of drone warfare right? How do you think about race in the context of drones? And um, what are the, what are the multiple ways that, you know, on the one hand, what is the military doing? But then what are the, the ways that activists are, are undoing these logics through, you know, documentary, film work, etc. Um, in terms of thinking about, like, those things we know and don't
0: know. The the final section uh, was great, Uh, partly because I think these are the types of essays that that you're talking about that aren't going to get the space in in other types of work. And this, you you talk about the kind of uh, possible futures is what you call this section, Uh, but it's really covering a wide gamut of, of traditions, approaches, in this in this context uh, I mean there's lots of different ways we could take it but uh, perhaps one one of the important uh, through lines of this section is the the role of women and gender um, both uh, it's central for for many of these authors so um, how do you think Muslim women fit into the possibility of a Muslim left and perhaps are there are there particular challenges uh, in terms of perhaps gender norms uh, that that might prohibit this type of Progress. Could you say more about that question, Christian?
2: I mean, so what is it about gender that you're, you're trying to get at?
0: Well, in the sense of, um, you know, some of these authors are, are, are talking about both uh, being women, raising women, and kind of what does that intersection of race, religion, gender, what, what are the kind of possibilities that that creates? What are p- perhaps the challenges that those set up before those, those people?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 think, you know, picking up on how you originally framed the question. I mean, I think when it comes and that, and this is what I'm, I, I, what I suggested before that the Muslim international and even the Muslim left are kind of, you know, these are not uniform monolithic spaces. These are contested spaces, right? But there are a space that where we can kind of have, um, kind of like these, these very important kind of debates, right? Um, and and so so to me, like the question of gender is central to the Muslim left, right? In terms of thinking about how um, our politics, you know, are shaped, right? And 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 the struggles in which kind of, um, in particular, Muslim women um, have to endure. So so I think the pieces speak to that. I think you know Suad's piece is you know t- both tonally. Uh, but in terms of, like, the register she's speaking, like, the genre and tradition out of which the the piece is coming from, I think, is a very powerful kind of invocation of that history, but also kind of placing it in the now in terms of thinking about, you know, for her as a Black Muslim woman intellectual, right, Um, in terms of how she frames kind of her positionality vis-a-vis, you know, uh, patriarchy writ large within Muslim communities, but it's you know particularly also in relationship to kind of immigrant, you know, non Black Muslim community spaces. So, and, and and I think Sylvia's is a kind of more you know also deeply personal, but but from the perspective of her of her of her daughters, um, kind of thinking about what it means to raise them in this context. So I think it, it's an, I, I think you're right to say ask the question about gender, but I I, I think this piece. This chapter, this this section of the book, also gets at uh, how you know some Muslim women are thinking about these questions, and I and I appreciate Sylvia's piece in the question in terms of the question of mothering, and you know there's a whole kind of discourse that's emerged around kind of the radical politics of mothering, etc. And I feel like Sylvia's piece is you know gesturing toward that, so. I think you know that the the question of gender and the place of gender within this idea of the Muslim left is fundamental, right and it's 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 something that has to i mean it's something that's going to be contested, and we have to continually fight for that you know um I don't know if Janae do you have something to add to that
2: yeah, I mean I think you know in some ways um you know we talked about this when we were organizing the book in terms of the sections and we didn't want this, even though this, this is like, you know, future oriented and um, it gives you kind of like this this uh, direction, it, it really wasn't about, okay, this is it. This is more, for us, it was more about completing a circle and bringing us back to, you know, one of the things that, that comes up in the the, the opening section with Rubaba Abdel Hadi and, and her notion of indivisibility of justice, which is, again, a kind of social justice call that always brings to the fore intersectionality. And intersectionality, not just an analytical, but as a justice-oriented approach, thinking about, um, you know, forms of oppression in their connection to one another. And, you know, part of what's so powerful about the pieces in this section, whether it's Sawad's or Robin's or Hotham's or Sylvia or Merriam's, is that all of them are really bringing a um, very personal, very kind of political framing to something that is deeply, deeply important and also that needs to change, right? Um, So, you know, for us, these are these are it's it's a direction of like yeah, there's this is going to be an ongoing conversation, but it's also you know um, we have we have mechanisms from which to think about this stuff. We have strategies in place to think about this stuff. Um, I also have to point out that I think these were you know some of the 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 most beautifully written essays right? I mean, they were in a different kind of voice. Um, you know, Suad's piece is very powerful because it's, 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 it's just a fierce piece in terms of taking on um, how she sees her place, right? Um, and what it means to be, like as she says, a young Black Muslim woman intellectual um, and naming that as such and giving the power to all of that in the way that it can be given power to um, and I think that's, that's you know, um, some of the work we have to do here is about reflecting and thinking about, you know, how does intersectionality, what does that mean for the Muslim international? What does that mean for the Muslim left? In a way, we've kind of laid it out in, in all kinds of different ways. But I think it also has a particular meaning when you're also talking about. You know, social movements, right? And that's what Rabab is referring to in, in in terms of the indivisibility of justice. That these struggles um, need to be constantly um, addressed and rethought. Um, and something as simple and 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 straightforward as responding to the question that you know a daughter might pose to you, or you know. Um, I think all of us, particularly academics in office hours where you know there are students who come to us with particular kinds of issues and they're not easy you know they're 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 not straightforward and there's some very painful um um questions that are being asked and they need to be asked um and I think that's part of what's going to again push things forward and you know in, in many ways like um, uh, it's hard to be prescriptive about this. Right. Um, because there's no one answer. There are multiple answers. And, um, I, I hope that we sort of like are, you know, um, starting off this conversation.
0: Yeah. There, I mean, <laughs> I have talked to you much longer than I often do. So I'm sorry to, to keep, uh, keep going on and on. There's, there's so much in this book. We, no, can, it's great. we, can, we, can, we can keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, perhaps um, this might be a good place to think about um, what you what you both are working on now, and the things that you uh, that you do have coming out in the future, either through your series, uh, your own personal scholarship, other types of things that you guys are working on. Um, uh, perhaps Sohel, you could tell us a little bit uh, first about what what's going on with you. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 kind of trying to
1: you know figure that out myself. I mean, I think I'm, uh, I was in Cuba, uh, a while ago and, you know, went down with a camera. Um, and so I've been kind of thinking about, you know, kind of, you know, reflexing those muscles a little bit, you know, um, I had, I had directed a music video for a group called Algiers that came out late last year. And, um, so trying to think about kind of like the film- the, the, the space of the moving image and film um, in terms of you know you know its role in kind of shaping the idea of memory, um, there's a tradition of that within kind of um, experimental film practice, and so um, I'm really playing with this idea of the ghost archives um, in terms of thinking about um, you know how, how how can we kind of think about you know the the figure of the Muslim or Muslims in particular. Um, in spaces that are have been erased or silenced or deemed illegible. So I'm really working around um, this project around Cuba and Guantanamo um, in terms of thinking about you know the, how 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 the figure of the Muslim is kind of circulating within that. Um, and so using kind of film as a medium, but then also kind of other forms of like writing to kind of complement that. Um, and, and and so, it, it, it doesn't have particular shape yet, but I've just been kind of wrestling with some of those ideas and those, those, those mediums, you know, like, um, I've always really appreciated the, uh, the convergence of the image with text. And so trying to think through that in terms of, of some of these issues. So that's broadly, broadly speaking, that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Uh, yeah, so
2: I've got two projects I'm working on. One is in the writing phase and one's in the research phase. The one um, that I'm writing, I'm finishing up this book um, that is an ethnography of a Brooklyn neighborhood. It's basically a, a, a neighborhood ethnography um, that looks at this little Pakistan in Brooklyn um, in terms of the, the changes that have happened in the last two decades. So, you know, some of the pieces that I've written about this, um, you know, in journal articles and edited anthologies are out there. There's a couple pieces out there. So that'll give you a little taste of what I'm thinking about in terms of the book. Um, and then the second project, um, huge, actually. <laughs> um, it's um, It started off very small because, you know, one of the things that we're interested in or that I'm interested in. Um, is, is you know, the life of Dada Amir Hadar Khan, who was a sailor uh, in the early 20th century who traveled all over the world and spent a significant time in the States, um, and then joined the Communist Party, was dispatched to Moscow, um, and then ended up in India, started a Communist Party in, in South India, and then... You know, after partition, um, he spent the rest of his life in Pakistan. Um, So it's pretty much using his life story to detail um, a history of the third world left, um, you know, because he basically came in in contact with all of these people that I'm trying to trace uh, both archivally and, um, you know, through oral history um, some of the oral histories I've begun to sort of collect um, in terms of people who were his comrades in Pakistan, um, in terms of like their remembrances of him, their contact with him, but then also just giving me more details about his life because he, he has a memoir that he wrote that was basically um, up to partition. And that's just half of his life because he lived, you know, till he was um, in his, his late 80s um and so that book i mean as it comes together you know i'm not really sure where it's going but it will be a story about um the third world left
0: that's great well uh congratulations on uh this this great book with stones in our hands um thanks for making the time to talk about it good luck on your own projects and uh i'm glad you're you're supporting and getting such interesting work out with the series Um, I I always have my eye on that. So I hope listeners will also uh, check it out in the future. And thanks again, guys. Thanks, Christian. All right. Thank you, Christian.